This is one of the most interesting subjects that you'll find in the Bible, and I'm not going to go speedily through it. I want to take my time, deal with certain things in here, and give you information about the early church and so forth and what they dealt with and what they faced. The Corinthian church was a Greek church. It was in Greece and uh, it was in the city of Corinth. And uh, Corinth is now a, it's a city in ruins. It's not a city that now exists. The Thessalonians it still exists. It's the second largest city. It's called Thessaloniki. It's the second largest city in Greece today. But uh, Corinth is no longer. But at that time, Corinth was one of the major crossroads of the then known world. It was Greek. And the people in the church there were Greeks. They were Christian Greek people who had been saved by the grace of God and the love of the Lord and, and so forth. And so when Paul writes to them, he talks to them in an area and in ways that they understand and things that they know about. So I'm going to start with chapter 12, uh, verse 1 here. I'm going to read down through some verses here uh, in your hearing. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. So what he's going to be talking about in this 12th chapter is all about spiritual gifts and all the ramifications involving it and so forth. And uh, then we'll be going into chapter, not today, but in the future weeks, that we'll be going in chapter 13. Uh, and then we'll be going into chapter 14 as well, which all deals with spiritual gifts and how they're to be used, how they're to be handled, and how they're to be conducted, and so forth, in the church. Now, in the first verse, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles. He's speaking out to this Gentile church of Corinth. Ye know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols. When he says dumb idols, he's talking about you used to be an idolatry, and you worshiped and you served idols, and then he went on to say he called them dumb because they were idols that could not speak. And the Lord even condemned them and said they had no hands, they could not move, they had no eyes, they could not see, they, uh, they, had, they could not speak, and so forth. Yet people worshipped and followed them and, and, and worshipped them as though they were living. And they were supposed to represent a God somewhere that was out there that they didn't know who it was, but this was an idol that represented it. Uh, there's a dry cleaners that I go to occasionally take my dry cleaning to, and they got a statue of Buddha there, <laughs> Buddha statue. And I always look at that thing, you know, with that big belly and everything, and I look at it and I say to myself, that thing cannot talk, it cannot do anything, yet people, you know, all over the world, I've been in Asia where they worship Buddha and everything, and there is no Buddha, there is no, there is no God that's Buddha. It's just statues everywhere. People worship those things, assuming that there's a Buddha, I guess, someplace. And I don't, I've studied it, and it's still very complex uh, religious views that they have. But I'm going to move on here because this is what the Corinthian church was doing. They were worshiping dumb idols, and the word dumb here simply means they were not, they could not speak. And it goes on to say, even as ye were led, you were into this one time, you used to be in this category in yourself. Now, he contrasts that with walking with God, because here's what he says in the next verse, verse 3, Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. Uh, let me just say this before I go any further. That he, Paul was saying, you serve dumb idols or non-speaking idols, but now you serve a God who speaks to us. 
I want to talk to you about that because this is what the Lord he was saying. And through spiritual gifts, God speaks to us. And we have to understand that God is a God who is not silent, but he does speak to us. And he speaks to us in many ways, various ways. And he talks about that in these spiritual gifts. And so we're going to be looking at that. And so he lets them know that when God speaks to us, there are certain things he doesn't do. And I want to tell you why he dealt with this, because it was a big issue in those days. And I'll tell you the names of them and so forth. But he goes on to say here in verse 3, now look very closely with me on this. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. No man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about this because this was dealing with an issue that they had back in those days. Uh, if I can sort of back it up a little bit, and I'm going to give you some scripture here in a few moments to show you where this was something they were dealing with in the early church. But in the early church period of time, there was a, uh, there was a religious view called Gnosticism. It's spelt with a G, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Gnosticism. And it's spelt with a G in the front of it, Gnosticism. But it's pronounced without the G. It's G is silent, Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a belief that they had in the early church that God would give his, his mind into people's minds. It was almost like his spirit in them. And they believed that if you were Gnostic or if you had received that, what do you call it, that particular knowledge of the Lord, that you understood God better than the average person or anyone else did. So that those who were claimed Gnostics felt like they were superior in spiritual knowledge over everyone else. They believed, and this all came out of the Greek philosophy. They all believed that men like Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, who were Greek philosophers, that they all had this kind of a spirit. In fact, later on when there began to be a falling away in Christianity and men began to come into the Christian church and they brought in some of the Greek philosophers, there were some of those men that were called church, uh, church leaders. Uh, this is after the apostles had all passed away. Some of these leaders actually believed and they taught that Greek philosophers had the spirit of God in them that their wisdom and their knowledge and all of this was part of this Gnosticism belief. So they believed that uh, that just uh, God would give you a little bit more smarts, you're a little bit more intelligent. This is why Paul spent so much time in Corinthians and in Romans talking about uh, this uh, wisdom that men, the wisdom of the world, it's not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is different than the wisdom of the world. And he would talk about that. The wisdom of the world is foolishness under God. You know, I'm quoting scripture here. And uh, so Paul talked about all these things very extensively because with the Greek culture, they felt like that they had an edge on the entire world. And they felt like it was called Hellenism. Hellenism is a term used for Greek culture. Alexander the Great, who went well, forth and conquered the, the then known world at that time, and uh, died at the age of 33, very young, uh, in, in 323 B.C. He died. But he had conquered the then-known world in just a matter of uh, probably uh, just a matter of 10, 15 years. And uh, 
whenever he passed away, uh, his kingdom was broken up into four different parts, and the Greek culture was continued on through them. And it carried right on down into the days of the apostles and so forth. So what I'm bringing out to you here is that this was something they dealt with. In Alexandria, Egypt, Alexandria was named after Alexander the Great. Alexandria, Egypt, uh, they had built a big library there, one of the greatest libraries in the then known world. And it was an educational center. And people would go there and they would study and so forth. And a lot of the stuff they were studying was the Greek books and Greek philosophy and Greek theories that from all of these philosophers that they had put in there and people had studied these things and so this is where a lot of this belief stuff came out of it seeped over into some Judaism where the Jews were adopting this uh, this Gnosticism now most of us are familiar with the word agnostic the word agnostic is an A in front of the G so that the G is pronounced when you put the A in front of it so Gnosticism is one thing. Agnostics is something else. Agnosticism is the opposite of Gnosticism. They believe that you don't receive anything from God. It's opposites like anti or against or no. And uh, they simply believe that no one can know if God really exists. That's what Gnosticism, that's what agnostics believe. No one really knows whether God really exists. Everybody just does the best they can. You don't really know. Nobody ever will ever know. There's no way you can ever know. We don't really know. They believe that, you know, if there is a God, uh, we're like an ant farm. And the God just watches and sees how all the ants operate. And they all operate on their own. And God has nothing to do with it. He don't touch anything and all that kind of stuff. That's agnostics. Uh, they believe that Gnosticism. They believe they had a little part of God in them. So whenever the early church began to preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God coming into them, these agnostics begin to refute that. And that's why that these early, uh, not the early church father, but the, the apostles began to refute them. Now, I want you to uh, look with me, if you would, please, here in 1 John 2, if you look in this verse of Scripture with me here. 1 John, this is not St. John now, but 1 John this is an epistle written by John, and uh, I want you to look with me in chapter 2, verse 1, 1 John 2, 1. And uh, I'm sorry, I think it's 4, 1 that I want. Yeah, 4, 1 it is, not 2, 1, I'm sorry, 4, 1. 1 John 4, 1, and uh, this is what John is saying. John was wrote this around uh, probably the late, late 80s, uh, the first century, uh, maybe 90, 90 A.D. But anyhow, this is what he says. I know he wrote the book of Revelation in 96, and he wrote his gospel in 90, in 90 uh, A.D. Here in this fourth chapter, in the first verse, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And he was talking about this Gnosticism that was going out in the world. Hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. In other words, that the Holy Ghost will always say Jesus is God. This is God, you know, it's Emmanuel, God with us. And so if you have the Holy Ghost, you know that this is worshiping Jesus and you're worshiping God through Jesus Christ because God is in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. 
So we worship Jesus Christ as the image of God. That's why God said don't worship no images because he had an image that was coming. And that image would be Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, he was the image of God. I can give you three or four scriptures on that if you need that. But in it, Jesus was the image of the invisible God. God was invisible as a spirit. And God is everywhere. It's like light. Everywhere God is, uh, there, the, he is wherever there is, is space, he's there. But the Jesus was like the object by which the light would come from above. And I won't go into details on that again. But nevertheless, this is what the early church Praise the Lord understood about God that if you worship Jesus Christ, you have it. But this Gnosticism was something that where they're claiming we have an edge on understanding God. And they would say, no, no, Jesus is not God. He's not God manifest in flesh. And they would say, no, 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 Jesus accursed or Jesus, uh, you know, had words for it and so forth. And uh, so anyhow, they denounced Jesus. So he went on to say here, I'm going to read verse 2 again. Hereby know we the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is coming to flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh is not of God. And he's talking about this Gnosticism thing. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Antichrist. That's what that's all about, he was saying. Whereof you have heard that it should come and even now already is in the world today. The spirit of Antichrist here and so forth. So I'm just giving you some understanding here of these kind of things. Uh, Jude also spoke of it. Jude is the, uh, the book that precedes Revelation. It's only one chapter long. And Jude in his time also wrote about these kind of things. I'm reading Jude, one chapter it is, only one. And it's verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares, meaning coming into the church, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness. In other words, the grace of God that God has extended to us that we might be saved. Him coming to this earth, dying on the cross, shedding his blood that we might be saved. The wonderful grace of God and the spirit that's extended to us, they condemn it and they... And they uh, denying uh, this and saying the grace of God into lasciviousness which is which means filthy and they were simply saying the Holy Ghost is filthy do you understand what these people were doing and it was a very terrible thing that they were doing and so when Paul writes in Galatians about the Spirit of God he says you cannot say that the Spirit, you have to have the Holy Ghost to say that Jesus is Lord. And if you'd say that he's not Lord, you don't have the Spirit of God. That's not what it is. And so these people here were very, very wicked, very strong. And Strong's Concordance says lasciviousness, the basic word of it is filthy. So they would actually say, and they of course, as you well know, were blaspheming the Holy Ghost. That was a very serious sin. And so they were in that category. So these people were very wicked and they were very gross. And they are spoken of extensively in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. And in James, James talks about it as well. And uh, he talks about how that the Spirit of God comes down from it. Let's look at James for just a moment. Look at James chapter uh, 1, verse 17. I'll read this, James 1, 17. Every good gift is... Uh, and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning 
So all the gifts that are true gifts are from God that's above. So do you understand here what they were dealing with? And this was the beginning of when Paul wrote for the Corinthians, they were beginning to just deal with this spirit of Gnosticism that they were dealing with that became more and more progressive as time went along and actually eventually affected the church. Paul even wrote the last time he went through Ephesus, he called all the elders together and he talked to them. And he said, after I'm gone, he said, there'll be uh, wolves that will come in among the sheep and they'll bring in false doctrines. And he said, there'll be a falling away. Be prepared for it. There's going to be a falling away because they will adopt new doctrines, new beliefs, and new ideas. But don't change. Now, folks, let me say this to all of us here today. Stay with the book. Not, don't stay with tradition. I had a man tell me one time that he believed that the Reformation fathers had more understanding of God's truth than the apostles had. I said, you're kidding me. How could they have greater understanding the apostles who had walked with Jesus and who had dealt with everything that Jesus dealt with and been taught personally by Jesus and presented their views and their doctrines throughout the book of Acts? How can you say that that's less than the Reformation fathers who came out of Catholicism and was trying to find their way through the dark and getting a hold of bits of truths here and there by trying to read the Bible in Latin? And some of it was difficult for them because it had been buried for so long. I'm just trying to tell you here today that we have to understand we've got to stay with the doctrine of the apostles. Praise the Lord. Don't deviate from it. That's why sometimes I like to go back to the book of Acts and say, this is what the Bible taught, this is what the, the apostles believed. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Praise thank the Lord. God for the truth. Thank God for his word. And thank God for the way the Lord has given us his truth. Amen. I want you to look in Matthew sixteen fifteen for a moment. This is the Lord speaking here. This is along the same lines. This is where he said to Peter, about the, I'm talking about the Holy Ghost now being on us and identifying Jesus Christ as the Messiah to us. 16:15. He saith, he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, verse 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So when you understand who Jesus is, you've received something from God. That's a blessing from, that comes from God. I'm not into the gifts of the Spirit yet. I'm just talking up here about how that the Spirit operates and moves in us, in all of us. But the Spirit of God will help us to understand who Jesus is. Some people have a problem in understanding how that God can be both the Father and God can be both the Son. Let me just say this, folks. We try to figure God out with our little brains. And our brains are like a drop of water in the ocean compared to God's knowledge and wisdom and everything. And so we try to figure God out with just our thoughts and we, we have everything in relationships and so forth. God can be everything. He can be, he can be all things at once. He can be whatever he wants to be. But these are manifestations. God was manifested as 
uh, as the Almighty God in creation. He was manifested as the Father in giving life to all existence. He was manifested as the Son in bringing redemption to the world. He's manifested as the Holy Ghost to dwell inside of us, each one of us individually, with a portion of the Spirit of God. So God makes himself known, manifests himself known to us. So in all these things, the Lord, praise the Lord, is great and greatly to be praised by us through Jesus Christ. So in verse 16, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is what Jesus said in verse 17. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. That is, by the Spirit of God have you under, do you have understanding of these kind of things. Now, while we're still on this subject, look at John chapter 6 and verse 44. 6, 44. I'm reading 44 and 45, and then I'm going to move on here into the operation of the gifts. Verse 44 here in, in chapter 6 of St. John. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 45. And it is, and it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. So if we know about God and we seek God, we come in, it'll be through Jesus Christ. Nobody comes to to God except through Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'm sorry to say that to all the other religions of the world, but you've got to come through Jesus. I'm serious. It's not through, not through Buddha. It's not through Shintoism. Not through Confucius. It's not through uh, Mohammedism. I'm sorry. It's not through any of these other. It's all through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And here's the beautiful part about it, is that Jesus loves us all. And he wants all to be saved. Praise the Lord. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. Gave means he, God can't die on Calvary. So the son died. That's why the son died on Calvary. Not a different person, a different manifestation of God. The flesh. The flesh died. That that was born of woman. That died on Calvary. So he gave the son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. And he still loves the world. He still wants people to be saved. He's still reaching out. He's still dealing with hearts and lives. That's why you want to keep praying for your loved ones. Keep praying for your lost families or lost children or lost uh, brothers and sisters. Keep on praying. Just keep on praying. You never know what God's going to do. God can move in strange ways at strange times. I was amazed when I heard that story that our pastor told last week in his preaching. Was it... Wednesday night, wasn't it? Wednesday night about the lady, about the lady and that Swedish woman started to walk away and she couldn't move. And the Lord spoke to her and said, that's my child. She's my child. How God loved that little girl. I mean, you know, it just, it touched my heart. Nobody cared for her, but God loved her. And there's people out there today, they feel like nobody loves them, but God, if they could only know that God loves them. And I, uh, I feel very touched by that because uh, I, w- I wish sometime I could just put my arms around a lot of people and say, God really loves you. You need to know that Jesus loves you. And then he shed his blood on the, on the cross to shed the blood that you might be saved because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And he's, there is remission now because he shed his blood. But we have to have faith. We've got to believe. And we've got to say, Jesus, I know you did it for me. And I know that you did it for my loved ones. And you pray for them. 
and you ask God to give it to you if you don't have it. And if you don't have his spirit, folks, he wants you to have his spirit. The spirit is part of it. That's what he's talking about here. It's not just having an understanding of who he is, but also having his spirit inside of us. Now, I'm going to move on here because in uh, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians 12 in this chapter, he speaks about the gifts of the spirit. And uh, I'm going to go as far as I can. If I don't get all the way into it uh, completely or to all of them, uh, we'll, we'll continue on next week. But look at verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. In other words, there are different gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, differences of administrations. That is the people that's used. Different people are used for the gifts of the spirit that God, praise the Lord, would, would put into the church or would use to reach the church or talk to the church. And he goes on to say here, there are differences, uh, verses, verse 5, there are diverses, differences of administrations, but the same, the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, how it operates. So what he's trying to say is that the gifts of the Spirit operate differently. They operate through different individuals, and they operate in different ways. Praise the Lord. And we have to understand that God operates differently because the Corinthian church had become familiar with certain gifts, especially the gift of tongues and interpretation. Somebody would speak forth the words of God in tongues. Somebody else would give the gift of interpretation. They knew that God was speaking to them. But they did not understand that God also spoke in other ways. And he would use different gifts, speak different ways. And so I'm going to talk to you about these different gifts here in, in, in which he spoke in different ways to different people. Praise the Lord. But then it says in verse 7, and look at this very closely here. This is for all of us to understand. But the manifestation of the Spirit, that is God, that is Spirit being made known to us, is given to every man to profit with all. In other words, it's given to us for all of us to be benefited by. So when there is a moving of the Spirit of God, and there is an operation of the Spirit of God, it's given, praise the Lord, that we can all be blessed by it, that we can all be touched by it, that it all reaches all of us. Praise the Lord. And so I'm going to get in then into chapter verse 8. If you look at that with me here, and I'm going to get into the first two here. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. And to another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. Now, this gift of the word of knowledge and the word of spirit, praise the Lord, is used primarily in the ministering of the word. That is the preaching of the word. Every preacher knows this. If he's called, when you're, when the Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. When God calls a man, and sometimes a woman, I'm not against women preachers. Amen. He used Samuel. Samuel was not of the tribe of Levi. He was not he was not of Levitical priesthood. Samuel, but God called him because the others, there's nobody to take his place. Nobody else took Eli's place. His sons were was rotten. They were bad. So God called Samuel. Sometimes God has to use women because there's not the man. The man's are not worth they not they don't stand up, whatever. And God has had women pastors and he's had women evangelists and so forth. And so forth. And so it's not his part. Maybe if you want to use it this way, maybe it's not his perfect will, but it's his will. If there's no man that will do the job. 
So I'm just going to include the women in that fashion, and uh, you can take it from there, whatever, however you want to do it. But it says on here, and, and it, it says, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. So, that a minister called of God is given uh, the, an instinct or a, a gift of being able to know what he should preach. Now, that's a hard, that's the gift of knowledge. I'll talk about the gift of wisdom in a few moments. But he has a gift of knowing what to preach. He studies, he seeks the face of God. And God will say, this is what I want you to preach. It doesn't like I come with a voice. It's not, it's not just sometime an impression. But it, it comes to him sometimes slowly. Sometimes it comes to him instantly. I, I more than once, this happened to me more than once. I have been cutting my lawn with a lawnmower, pushing the lawnmower, cutting my grass, and get a message. It just comes to me what I should preach come Sunday. You know, uh, I've been driving along in a car, and it comes to me what I, need to, what I need to preach. But that's a gift that every minister has to have. Otherwise, he's always digging and trying to find it. He don't know what to preach, and it drives him crazy. He don't know what to preach. He doesn't have the knowledge of what to preach because the gift is not there. So when a person is called to the ministry, God gives him that gift of knowing what he has to preach at that time. At that time. That's the amazing thing about it. I'm talking about the knowledge of the gift now. Uh, and it even goes further than that. Sometimes God will give him a message to preach at a place that he has not been asked to preach. But he knows he's going to preach it. And that's happened to me numerous times. I'll be honest with you. I went to a youth rally in Pensacola, Florida one time. My wife and I were young evangelists and we had come down from Alabama and we arrived there. At a, and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you'll be preaching at this youth rally. And here's a message I want you to preach. And it was a message I'd preached in Bessemer, Alabama. Preach that message at this, at, this, at this conference. When I got out of the car, I opened my Bible and put, and put my notes in there. I got it in, I got the Bible, I walked in the church, came up on the platform, sat down with all those preachers up there. Knowing I was going to preach, nobody had told me. And nothing was ever said to me or nothing. Five minutes before the preacher was to get up to preach, Paul Welch turned to me. He was the, he's the he was the, at that time, the, the youth leader of that party, and later was the pastor of Pensacola Church. And I knew Paul. I knew we grew up together. Paul turned to me and said, you're preaching. I said, this is a fine time to tell me. I, I, you know, this is a fine time to tell me. He said, the Bible says be instant in season, out of season. I looked at him and I said, okay. He said, really? I said, really. <laughs> his, his mouth fell open. He said, you mean you're really going to do it? Yeah. I said, yeah. Because I knew when I went there that I was going to preach. And I got up and I preached. I preached what God gave me to preach. I've done that at funerals. I went to my uncle's funeral one time and told my wife I'm going to be speaking at my uncle's funeral. She said, how do you know? Has your aunt asked you? I said, no. But I know. Okay, she said. I went. Sure enough, my aunt came up to me and said, I want you to speak at, at your uncle's funeral today. And I said, okay. I had a message ready. It was ready. I knew I was going to be speaking. I went to her father's funeral in Massachusetts. She can tell you this. I said, I'm going to be speaking at your father's funeral in Massachusetts at the, in that Catholic church where they have the high mass and all that. I'm going to be speaking at your father's funeral. She said, I know you're wrong this time. You, this is not going to happen. I know. 
because I know Father So and So, who's their father there. You know, the the priest. He does not like he does not like Protestant preachers. You're not going to be speaking there. I said, Yeah, well, I already knew it. I knew what I'd be preaching. I was already there. I can't tell you that, folks. I can't tell you how he just. I just knew it. And. I went in, we went in there the night before, you know, they have the, the wake and all that, and all the friends and people came and everything. They all came to be at the wake. And somebody came up to my mother-in-law and to my wife, the family, and to me, and said, Father so-and-so is not going to be here. He's out of town, but Father so-and-so will be taking his place. Oh, we've got a different priest now that's going to be doing this. So that priest, they introduced, blah, blah, blah. This is my son-in-law. He's a, uh, he's a pastor in Florida and so forth. And he looked at me and said, would you like to say something at the funeral? I said, yes, I would. He said, would you like for me to call you up when it's your time to speak? I said, no. I said, I'll be sitting on the platform with you. He said, okay. He said, would you like to be in the back and come out with me whenever? I said, I'll be in the back and come out with you. When you come out on the platform, I'll come out with you and sit beside you. Okay, he said, that's fine. So I went back in the back behind the platform in this Catholic church, you know, and everything. And he was to do mass and all that. And I'm sitting all on the platform up there with him, everything. And I spoke at the funeral. But I knew it was going to happen. I didn't have any qualms, but I knew it was going to happen. Now, I can't tell you how all these are, but you can say, is this a gift, Brother Martin? I don't know, but... The Bible talks about these gifts of the knowledge. And there's also the gift of wisdom that's mentioned here, the word of wisdom. Look at this uh, fourth verse again. I'm just saying that every minister, uh, God gives him what to say. And a lot of times the reason I know I would be speaking is God gave me what to say. I could tell you another story. One time I took my wife to Georgia to sing because they had said... Brother Myers, we want your wife to sing at this funeral for this sister who's, who, who's being buried uh, in a cemetery next to a little church up in Georgia, a little country church up there where her family's all from and everything. And I said, I'll have her own time. But the Lord also spoke to my heart and said, you'll be preaching the funeral. Okay. So we got there about five minutes late because it's, you know, trying to find that place in the country, all them square, you know, going around cornfields and everything. Finally, I got there. We got there. I said, I'm so sorry. My wife played the accordion. You know, she could sing and play the accordion. This was a church that did not believe in any music instruments in the church. So there's no pianos or nothing. So for her to sing, she had to have an accordion. So we brought the accordion and everything, you know. They said, oh, we're so glad you're so, so the, the guys outside that were looking for us. So we're so glad you're here. And I said, yeah. And, said, and then he turns to me and says, when your wife gets through singing, you go ahead and preach. I said, you want me to preach? And I already knew I was going to preach. I said, you want me to preach? I said, no one's asked me to preach the, the funeral. Oh, he said, my God, how did we forget that? He said, will you, Brother Mark, please, will you preach? We don't have no, I said, no worry, I'll, I'll take care of it. I already had the message. I knew I was going to be preaching. Now, see, folks, there's things like this that, that you know about. I'm going to tell you something else about the ministry. And, of course, my wife sang beautiful songs, took a couple of songs there. And then when she got through, I took the accordion off. I got up and I preached the message God had given me for that service. Now, when a preacher's in a pulpit preaching, sometimes God speaks to him 
and said, don't go this way, but go this way. And you can see that sometime with our passages. I don't know why I'm dwelling on this, but I feel like I should go a little further. There's people or a person in the audience that needs to hear the word a certain way. Or they need to hear a certain part of the word of God. I'm serious. And when that happens, folks, if it's a rebuke, don't, don't, don't throw it off. I'm serious. If it's something where God, is, it, maybe he comes down on some holiness. And you say, man, everything he's talking about is what I'm doing and, and everything like that. But I don't want to, I'm not, nobody's going to tell me what to do. No, 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 don't do that. Because that's God through him telling you, praise the Lord, what you should do or how you should, you know, how you should clean up the act. And don't you think that the ministry hasn't been dealt with by God in those ways? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I want to tell you something else. God can speak to us through the word of God like that. And that's only one way he speaks to us. I have even talked about the gifts of uh, prophecy, the gifts of tongues, interpretation. We haven't even talked about the discerning of spirits. There's all kinds of things here I'm going to talk to you about. And I know our time is gone. But I just want to tell you here today, what a wonderful Christ we serve. What a, he is our friend. Jesus is our friend. He says to the apostles, I call you not servants, I call you friends. Because he lets the friends know what he's going to do. Praise the Lord. That's why that the Lord lets us all know it's time for the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming back soon. And we need to be ready. And he's going to be a great work in these last days. Just before his coming. And he wants us to be ready to go. And he wants us to understand what he's doing in these last days. So I'm going to pick this up right where I left off here next week. And we're going to go into these things and talk to you about it. God love you. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together. And let's praise God and worship him. Let's thank him today. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your blessings. We glorify you, Lord, for truth. We thank you, Lord, for the saints of God. Thank you for this great audience. Thank you for the services that we've had so far and the service that we're going to have again. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.